Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Revolution Church, Minneapolis. We're doing a little bit of different uh, audiovisual stuff today. Uh, doing the ring light, so hopefully it's not bouncing off my glasses too much. Amanda's uh, going to be uh, manning the ring light in our Facebook Live thing on our computer, but we've noticed that uh, it's kind of blurry and somewhat with my phone, so we're going to try to do this ring light. And you know, Amanda and I watch TikTok a lot. We're those people that watch TikTok a lot, and I will say that looking at um, those videos when they use uh, the tick the the ring light, it works a lot, lot better. Things are more crisp. Things are more. Uh, I don't know, clear. And with this, you can see my sweet, sweet looking body uh, instead of just my face, if that's what you want to uh, look at. Uh, I will say again, as I do always, shout out to Bryant Lake Bowl for having us here. Um, I know I think we're the only, when I was, t when I was talking with them to book this for Revolution, I think we're the only group that is tentatively still meeting or are meeting here. So it's us and it's kind of kind of a free for all in this room from if Jay and Caleb were here, they can remember how it was set up and is completely different. But um, yeah, now it's kind of a free for all back here. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of a chaotic church, if I can say that chaotic church. So, as always, um, if you have questions, comments, uh, keep sending them through. Uh, we'll get to them when we can. Um, and if I say any books or things, I know Amanda will be the sleuth that she is and put it up real quick. We have a really boisterous audience out there with Curtis with Curtis and Amanda and, and my daughter, Ava. Um, you know, and uh, hey, I will say, since last time... Both Amanda and I got our first vaccine dose. Curtis got his. Uh, kids can't get it yet. So, hey, the Revolution crew here is almost fully vaccinated. Pretty soon, in a couple weeks, we'll be fully vaccinated. So all you cool people who are watching um, can come down because we won't get you sick at all. I'm going to get this coffee. I was just talking that my father, may you rest in peace, would like it that I'm drinking you know, I'm not drinking black coffee. I'm not that crazy like Curtis just to drink black coffee. But I'm liking kind of the bitter taste to it the older I get. Shameless little thing. Do you know that your taste buds as a human change every five to seven years? So if you don't like something when you're like 15, you might like it when you're 20 or 21. Or if you don't like something when you're 35, hey, maybe you hit 40 and you're like, I like this bitter stuff, right? So why not? Delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, anybody who listens to the Sacred Collective feed um, religiously, there's a new episode coming out that we uh, that I recorded last, yeah, this past Wednesday. My good friend, Dr. Josh DeKaiser, he lives over in the Netherlands. I went to seminary with him, and he wrote, or wrote, he uh, had a couple of podcasts he's been on, um, but a dear friend of mine, we talked about his his 
trudging along into religionless theology, and we talked about his view on methodological atheism, being a post-academic. It was about an hour conversation, but it felt like three because it was so heavy. So that's dropping um, April, what day is that? Probably 13th, or no, 14th or 15th. So that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to that to drop to let people know uh, or let people hear that conversation. We're working on more, um, more um, cool issue issues. I can't even talk. Cool interviews. My coffee hasn't fully hit me. I do not have earbuds, but I'm good. I'm good. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's coming out. Oh, I will say for people who are here live, if they haven't. Um, we, Bryant Lake Bowl likes to have people sign in for contact tracing. So I'm not smart on saying that every week. Um, so yeah, they just want to know that everyone's okay and safe and sound and all that. So what I'm going to talk about this week, I entitled this talk, the doubters. Um, I think it kind of feels commonplace to kind of take a, take a spin on it, um, this week after Easter. And a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people know, but there's the church uh, liturgy calendar. So churches like Episcopalians, Lutherans, UCCers, Presbyterians, they all have, uh, I think Methodists use it, I don't know if I said that, they all use like common lectionary things. So it'll be like year A, year B, year C, year D, and then they fluctuate. But it's really all uh, scriptures picked for you. So it's kind of like, not to let people know, pastoral cheating in a way. of you, If you're like, hmm, I really am hitting a wall at what I can talk about or what I'm going to think. Well, you go to this you go to this online, and I'm sure you can buy it in like a packet. But it helps you, um, it helps you wonder and decide what to read and what to preach on. So, you know, I went to that and I was like, what should I preach on this week? And this kind of came, this was the scripture reading for today, so I'm going back old school, and a lot of my colleagues who are in probably mainline Christianity are going to be talking about the same thing, but I might give it a twist, who knows. So we're going to be talking about the doubters. Um, So I'm going to read out of the epistle of John, or the gospel, I shouldn't say epistle, boo. The Gospel of John, John's a Gospel, John uh, 20, verses 19 through 29. So buckle up, here we go. I know Curtis is going to have questions at the end. So, oh, uh, here we go. June ni- or June John 19 starts out as this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said to them, Oh, wait, wait. When he said to them, Peace be with you. When he said, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had read, said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And it, this little snippet ends, If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. 
reading that uh, that part, I'm trying to put my head into it on on how I would react to that. If and I find it really troubling in a lot of the ways to how it starts out is that the disciples locked the door for fear of the Jews, and I don't I don't say that is. Jews that killed Jesus. And I know throughout Christianity, throughout Christendom, for probably the first thousand plus years um, of Christianity, there was this whole idea and push that, oh, it was the Jews that killed Jesus. It was all the Jewish people, and it wasn't. It, is it true that the Pharisees were like the high Jewish rabbis and priests? Yes. Were they culpable in having Jesus crucified yes but i don't like how in the scriptures just says jews so i would say more or less this should be uh changed to uh pharisees the fairs they locked the door because of the pharisees and the pharisees um were the ones that could potentially come and cause some damage um but what i think is really cool is um the first thing that Jesus says is, peace be with you. And then he, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said again, peace be with you. And I was talking to my mom the other day about like what I was going to be talking on. And I said, I find it very, I'm just trying to get myself in a headspace at how I would react, how I would deal with it. Here you are, these disciples these people who have literally dropped everything that they're doing for three years of their life, whether they were fishermen and women, tax collectors, farmers, tradesmen, whoever. And then they followed this quote-unquote holy person, this Messiah, the, the, the Christ, and literally in front of your eyes, you know, on Good Friday, they saw him get crucified. And then they thought that this this God, this deity, this holy person is, is dead. And I think the, the crazy thing is, is like, if you, if you put any of you who are here live or listening or, you know, listening live on Facebook or, or you'll listen to it some other time, I find it, Jesus could have said so many different things. Uh, if you look throughout the scripture, you see Jesus always you know, answering like a, even like a greeting, it'll be this kind of diatribe of something or like a question or a rebuttal or something. And you just see Jesus come in and I'm sure these disciples' faces were bewildered and astonished, probably traumatized all in this way. And the first thing that Jesus says is, peace be with you. And then he says it again, briefly in that in that interchange is he was like peace be with you and then he showed the disciples the wounds like the stigmatas i guess if you would say it's like the wound and and most people think and this is it gets my goat it's a it's a i don't know a little pet peeve people think that when people were crucified that they they put you through the hands they nailed you through the hands which that's just not historically accurate because if you were up on your hands when you were crucified, you, the nails, however, and the nails that they used weren't like nails that you hang a picture up. They were like railroad spikes type type 
um, nails. Um, and so most likely what they did instead of the nail uh, and through the hands, they went through your wrist. And so they would shatter that wrist bone right there that we all have, but and it would go right through your, your, um, wrist. And that's where all your veins are starting to go into your hand. So you can see why they would bleed a lot. So, and most likely what they would do to make sure you stayed up there, they would crucify you through your wrist. Then they would tie knot or like tie heavy duty ropes around your wrist onto the cross just so that if your body did start ripping through or breaking through then um then the ropes would hang you up there very very violent way um to die and then with your feet they would put your feet on like that and historically like historians and archaeologists would say the reason they hung the people um like they did on the cross is because it was it was uh they did that as a form of obviously as a form of torture. So, but anytime someone was crucified on a cross, they would have to literally like push themselves up, like pull themselves up just to take a breath. And we know how normal, we know how normal breathing is for us normally, but just think if you were getting crucified on a cross, just how you would have to literally with your physical might have to like push yourself up just to take a breath. And, and if you look throughout history and and through the stories of Jesus, the Romans were shocked that Jesus died so quick because most people would be on the cross 12 hours, 24 hours before they perish. It was a horrid, horrid way to die. And of course, people will say, oh, well, Jesus died for our sins. That's what killed him. But they just, they, they tore Jesus up. I, I don't care what people say. Um, with the, all the lashings he had and all the stuff. So I would say for a lot of people who got crucified, Jesus probably had it the worst out of everyone. So little historical part on that. So when I read, when I read scripture like this and it says they showed, when Jesus showed them his wounds or on like his side, we might be like, sometimes we just gloss over that and we're like, hmm, hmm. Okay, you know, I've seen I've seen war movies, I've seen, you know, action movies where people might get their hand blown off or something like that. But when you just I keep going back to the idea of what if I was one of those disciples? What if I was a fly in the room as you hear, fly on the wall? It's so it would be so I don't even know the word. I'm I'm at a loss for words. So mesmerizing, astonishing to see here's this here's this God, here's this man that you followed for three years that got crucified. And every, even if people said, oh yeah, you're Jesus, you're the son of man. I guarantee you there's probably not a single person, disciples or a follower of him that thought that he was going to rise from the dead. I, I just, I do not think that there was anyone who, who literally thought that. And to, to put yourself in that position of, uh, of that to see how would you react and i'm just I, i'm just even right now as i'm talking trying to channel how i would deal with that and i don't know what i would do and why i think this is such an important thing to talk about is we i grew up in a tradition that kind of poo-pooed doubt and this, this talk is called the doubters and I, i've always said ad nauseum that it's not my mom or my dad who taught me to doubt or that said doubting was bad because they didn't. They always told me to question things and to be open and thoughtful and using my critical engagement um, part of my brain 
because a lot of people said, oh, when you start to doubt whatever part of your faith or part of this theology, then you're going to just doubt Jesus right out of everything. And I, I'm looking at the doubting this way, is I'm not doubting the validity of the resurrection. I, as I've said before, even last week, I believe in a literal resurrection. It might not be uh, what majority of people who listen to this might believe. I don't know, maybe. But even these disciples who spent three years of their life following this dude named Jesus, I'm sure that they had this some sort of healthy amount of doubt where they were like, is this Jesus? Is like, is this an imposter? You know what I mean? Because what people don't realize either is there was a lot of people during the times of Jesus who said that they were the Son of God. Son of God was a lofty title to have, but there, throughout history, there was other people, like, there was people called Jesus. Because Jesus is just the name. So Joshua is what Jesus is translated to. So if your name is Joshua, like my brother-in-law, it's actually going back in how the Hebrews named their kids. Like Yeshua is how you pronounce it. Yeshua sounds a lot like Joshua. So it was, and Christ is a title. So when you hear people say Jesus Christ, it's his pretty much as Joshua the Messiah or Joshua the, you know, Joshua the Christ. This is literally what it means. So there was all these other people. I think there was one historically around the time of Jesus where it was like, uh, like Ben or Benjamin, uh, Yeshua, like Benjamin, Joshua, the Christ. So all these people who were saying that they were holy were saying a lot of the same things Jesus were, but obviously they didn't, they weren't Jesus. But if, if I was that one of the disciples, let's just say I was Peter and I'm following and I'm following Jesus. I just had, you know, I, Earlier on, I denied Christ three times, um, all this stuff. And when Jesus got crucified, I know in the back of my head, I would be like, I believe in these teachings. I believe in this God. He said that he's going to die. He says he's going to resurrect. This is just so foreign. This is so unlike anything we've ever seen. And I always say to family and friends who, who believe everything, hook, line, and sinker, you know, like, oh, Jesus did this, Jesus didn't do this, Jesus did this. These are the words that are attributed or the stories that are attributed. And I was just like, but if you put yourself in the story, would you honestly think that this is the real Jesus in front of you or was it an imposter? Like, just using using your critical engagement, using your critical eye, you would be like, I just saw this person get crucified and killed. And then all of a sudden, they come alive again. And I just think about any loved one that I lost, like my father, I'll say that my dad was one of the closest people to me in my life. Would I be very doubtful if somehow, three days after he died, he comes literally like a zombie outside the grave, and he just comes to like my mom and myself and my brother and his grandkids, and says, hey, peace be with you, I would freak the heck out and be like, what is going on? Because resurrection, we use that word so much in Christendom that I don't think we realize the gravitas that it has. 
when you're like, oh yeah, like we talk about resurrection, like we just celebrated Easter last week, and we make it sound like, oh yeah, this is normal. The you know people resurrect all the time. It wasn't. It was such a monumental thing. But when you think about it, just look at, and I'm going to use this word. People look at it as as a negative, but I don't. The absurdity of it, the absurdity of resurrection, because we all throughout Christendom since the time of Christ, you know, resurrection has been in our lexicon, whether you're in a Bible class in church or whatever. But resurrection was not something that happened a lot in Scripture. You hear when Jesus resurrected Lazarus and then Jesus, and that's it. All throughout Christian history. And through history itself, you don't hear people being resurrected. You just don't. It's not a. It's not a commonplace. And I don't. I haven't went back into the earlier, you know, religions and holy people or teachers before Christianity. But I don't even think resurrection was something that is in a lot of other religions as well. So, and then I think how it ends is really is really cool. It talks about um, receiving the Holy Spirit you know, use that however you want to interpret it. But then it says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And as I said, I don't like the word sin, not because of negative connotations, because sin is more of how we Europeanized it, Americanized it, where sin literally in the Greek is to missing the mark, to miss the mark. So when someone misses the mark, misses the mark, I miss the mark. Amanda misses the mark. Curtis, we all all humans do. Literally, Jesus, and I think it's so crazy. The first thing, if you look at this, and if we look at this as how it happened, after saying "peace be with you," kind of like "hello, what's going on? How how is everyone?" The first thing that Jesus says after this triumphant return, after this resurrection, we look at it. And the first thing he says is, forgive those who miss the mark, and they then if you forgive them, they are forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld from you. I think that's poignant, one of the first things that Jesus says after the resurrection, after he comes out of the tomb, after he talks to uh, the, the women at the tomb. And we forget that is that Jesus, first of all, appeared to the to women, because I, I want to say women are a lot more open and probably in tune with the crazy, unbelievable thing back then. So I think it was purposeful that Jesus sh- shown, show, shown, shown himself, I think, shown himself to them before the disciples. Because you could probably think these disciples were like, what? How is this happening? But yeah, so I think it's very, very important uh, to to look at that. So if you want to hold anger, hold bitterness, hold uh, whatever has happened to you, and you don't forgive, then forgiveness is not going to be from you. So if I have someone that sins against me, whatever that is, it could be they steal my car. Um, Jesus more or less is saying, you got to forgive them. He's not saying Jesus condones any of this stuff, but like, just, just forgive them because if you forgive them, that's what it's about. And that's what's so revolutionary about Jesus's teachings is because 
you had all these religious laws back in the day, and they were like, eye for an eye. If someone steals your goat, you steal their goat. You know, if someone steals your wife, you steal their wife's wife or wives or so on and so forth. But G- And that was like in the law. Like you could legally do that. But Jesus is it just in this in totally intensity turning it upside down and is saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Like if someone wrongs you, forgive them. And if they don't forgive you, that's on them. That's not on you. But this is the teachings that I give. These are the teachings that I'm instilling into you. And that's why people, I feel like people, they make, they make the teachings of Jesus so hard. And like I've said to people, there's so much of Christianity that I don't like. There's so much of Christianity that I don't, that I don't think works for us uh, in modern time. And people need to realize Christianity was something that was started thousands of years ago. You know it's going to evolve and change and morph from the original originality of it to what it is now. That's just that's just life. Humans have evolved, and I'm not talking about in the evolutionary like scientific which we we have from that, but we've just with our consciousness, with technology, with language and reading and all this stuff we've changed. And, but the message and the teachings of Jesus, I always say, have remained the same. And I'll, I'll say, if I had to give up everything about Christianity, I would, I would, but I would never give up the teachings and the message and the morality of Jesus. Because that, to me, is the, I'll say this till the, day, till the day I die, that is the crux of the gospel. The Old Testament is pushing us towards towards the person of Jesus, the epistles and all of the New Testament books are pointing us back to Jesus. They're pointing us to this central figure, to this central person named Jesus, into these central teachings. And as I said last week, we, we say, oh, I'm, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Oh, what denomination? What is this? But really, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He's very, very vocal about that. It's not a religion that Jesus tried to start. It's the people after who believed in Jesus and this teaching called the way that created a religion, that created a religion that is so antithetical to, to what Jesus left us. And I, I'm watching the show. Um, I'm a Norwegian. I'm very proud of my heritage. So there's the show. It's off the air now, but I'm just getting into it. It's called the Vikings. It was on the history channel and all this stuff. And it's and you see the Vikings, they had their pagan gods, you know, Thor, Odin, Freya, you know, Norse mythology, look it up. But then, you know, they were raiding and, and pillaging in, in England, and there's this really cool dichotomy between the some of the characters, some of the Norsemen they call them, and like the English church. And I just see the gaudiness of these kings. These warriors, they're wearing all this armor that had crosses on them, that had like religious relics on them, and they're slaughtering and raping and debauchery and all this stuff, but yet they're praying to, and then they'll show them in their churches and their sanctuaries, pray, you know, praying God, praying to, the, to Jesus. And I just sit back and I was like, that and this was 800 years this takes place in like the 800 AD and i'm like this takes place only 800 years after quote unquote jesus was on the scene and they were this far off 
You know, they were this far gone, this far mistaken, only 800 years after Jesus, if you believe Jesus was this historical person on earth, was here. And then we transpose that being in 2021, and somehow there's a lot of people within Christianity that are like, oh, we're closer to the truth now than we were back then. And I, I look at it and I'm like, we're, we're farther and farther and farther and farther from that. I look at it as a game of telephone. If anyone played the game telephone growing up, sometimes in church, sometimes whatever, and I always remember, it'd be like you'd have like a group of kids <clears throat> or teenagers, and the person would, you know, the adult would whisper something into your ear, and by the time it got to the end, it was, to it was a little bit the same, but most likely it is completely different because someone had to put their interpretation or their whatever, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that's a lot of how we've looked at scriptures and stories is this is what came out of Jesus's mouth and what the disciples said. And all these years later, this is what we got. And we're like, hey, that's the truth. That's the gospel. So don't, don't stone me yet. I'm going to drink this coffee before it gets cold. So, so we're looking at doubting with that called the doubters. So do I doubt a lot of stuff about the Bible? Yeah. But do I t doubt the teachings of Jesus? Never. But the one thing that I thought was really, really incredible and wonderful, and this is one of my favorite little portions of Scripture, because <clears throat> I really do think it talks about doubting in... Uh, I look at it, it talks about doubting in in a positive way and like i said i've heard sermons on doubting thomas as almost almost as a villain and i think one of the biggest villains people who grew up evangelical will say was judas oh he betrayed jesus but you kind of look at for me personally growing up in the summits of god it was a lot like oh doubting thomas like jesus was right in front of this dude and he still didn't believe but hear me out on this so i'm going to read this last portion Jesus and Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, so Thomas was the disciple, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me, or have you... Are Excuse me. Or have you believed because you have seen me? And then it ends with, Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So Thomas, how this narrative goes, Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. When Jesus came on this scene to his disciples, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know what he was doing. And so when the other disciples came to him and was like, Hey, Jesus is back. Yes, bewilderment awe, astonishment, fill in whatever kind of emotion you have. 
And Thomas just didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. And you hear him say, until I see these wounds, to really know that it was Jesus, I'm not going to believe it. It's maybe this imposter syndrome or, or whatever. And I love this portion because, and this is why I think so many people in the church and why this is on the calendar, is how many of us as people who, whether call yourselves Christians, agnostic, atheistic, somewhere somewhere within that realm, we're all like Thomas. Let's be honest. We're all like Thomas because I guarantee you, and I would say to any of my family, any of my friends who would say, oh, I'm not like that. Yeah, we all were because if you were in that position, if you were Thomas, we're all, we're all Thomases. I could have just entitled this talk, we're all Thomas because none of us would believe it until we saw it. Let's be honest. If I was in, if I was Thomas as that disciple and Peter or Simon, and they came up to me and they were like, oh man, why, where were you a week ago? Because it said eight days had passed. Where were you a little over a week ago? Jesus is back. He's here. He's in the flesh. We don't, we can't even understand it. We can't describe it, but Jesus is here. And you know, Thomas is like, bull crap. Like this, this is not true. This is not right. What are you talking about? Or you had too much wine or meat or whatever. And in, I love how it says that the scripture says until, and, or it says unless I can physically see Jesus, unless I can physically touch his wounds, I am not going to believe. And I think that's true for all of us. We know that we can't physically see Jesus. Uh, and I tell people all the time, you know, we, and the one thing I hate about Christianity is we'll make fun of other religions. Not, I'm not saying all Christianity, but there's a lot of people throughout, you know, Christendom that will make fun of other gods, other religions, whatever, because they're like, you can't see your God, your God's not real, but yet Christians do the same thing. You know, we, none of us who sense that when Christ ascended into heaven, None of us have seen Jesus. We've heard stories about Jesus. We've read sagas about Jesus. We've read tons of books about historically the historical Jesus or the mythological Jesus. But none of us have ever seen Jesus. We have never seen these physical wounds that Jesus had from when he was on the cross. And it does end, which I think is gives the whole thing about faith. And it just ends with Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. So Jesus is saying, yeah, it's easier for, it's easy for you, Thomas, to believe because you've seen me in the flesh. Here I am. Touch my hands. Touch my side. You can see me, you can physically grab me and touch me, and you know that I'm this Jesus, your friend, your, your, your God. But blessed are those who don't see me, but yet believe. And that's why I tell people is faith. And I have a huge issue, and maybe this is because I was trained in, in logic and epistemology of proving things, you know, are right and, and, you know, a lot of people don't like it because it kind of philosophically or epistemologically traps someone. But I hate it 
I hate it to the nth degree when people use comments like, I know that Jesus, A, B, C, or D. I know the Bible. What Fill in the blank. And I say, no, 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 no. Because that is not faith. That is uh, ir- irrational. People are like, I know for a fact that Jesus died and rose, to get, uh, rose again. No, you don't. None of us do. But that's where faith comes in. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here is it is hard for people to believe that I did this because it's never happened before. But if you do believe, if you do believe in this, blessed are you because I know that this is hard to get your head around. I know this is hard to get your your thoughts, and, and here, here I am teaching this new way to live, this new way to, to be, and I died. I got killed for it. But hey, I said I was going to resurrect. I did. And then Thomas and all these other people were like, and as a disciple, it, your bewilderment and you're like, oh my gosh, this couldn't happen. And then you saw them and you saw Jesus. You're like, okay, I could, this makes sense now. Yes, you are who you say you are. But for the last 2,000, over 2,000 years, everyone who's become a Christian, everyone who believes in God, is doing exactly what Jesus says here at the end of this ver- at the end of this narrative. Is he is we're believing in Jesus in this resurrected God because there's something about it that we need to believe in it. And I know there's a lot of people within philosophy and theology that are like, oh, you know, we don't have to look at Jesus as a real historical figure. Yeah, I get that. I'm not one of those. Um, I have a lot of good friends who are atheists, a lot of good friends that are agnostic. Uh, I've, I like to study on all of it. But when I get to stories like this, I love it because it takes the, the, human, the humanness the human emotion, the human questioning, and it makes it real. I look and and that's why I say I think we're all Thomases because if if I tell someone like, hey, I think you should believe in God, like Jesus, I saw Jesus, Jesus was here. Hundred percent of people are going to be like, what are what are you smoking? What are you drinking? Like this isn't true. This isn't real. And then Jesus was like, here I am. Here, you know, you asked for me, here I am. So it's easier to believe when you see that, when you see Jesus. But how Jesus ends is saying, blessed are those who have not seen me but yet believe. And that is that the crux of faith. I tell people all the time, I can't, believe, I can't prove that Jesus was a real person. I can't prove that Jesus resurrected. I can't prove that Jesus did any of the things he said in the Bible. I can't. No one can. And if someone says that they can prove it, that's just straight up lying. But that's where faith is. Faith, faith is believing in the things unseen, believing in things that are unknown, and being okay with that. You just have faith, right? And I tell people all the time, you have, for especially people who are married, I I can't prove if my wife is going to love me till the end of our days, but I have faith that my wife will. I don't. I I can't prove that my daughter is going to love me to the end of my days or her days, but I have faith that she will. I have faith that I'm going to get up tomorrow 
and go to my job that something over the weekend didn't piss off my bosses to the point where they're like, Brian, you're fired. Those are all, we have so much faith in things that we don't understand, but faith is not being able to prove something, not being able to physically see something, but yet still believing in it. And that's great. And last little tangent I'll go on is when you look at doubt, doubt is a vital part of faith. And I will always push back against Christians who are like, doubt has no place in Christianity. That's bullcrap. Doubt doubt and faith, and this is what Pete Rollins says, and it's true, doubt and faith, faith are on the same coin. They're inter- they, they have to be interchangeable. To have a robust faith, to have a deep faith, you have to have doubt. You do. And I know you might just be like, well, Brian, you just read out of here where Jesus says, believe. It's easier if you've seen something to believe it than if you haven't. Yeah. But, and Amanda and I were just talking about this yesterday. So many people think that even if you let the sliver of doubt in, you've let the devil in, you've let some slippery slope understanding or theology and no what you're doing as a human being and as a christian when you doubt certain things about the bible is you're taking this critical you're taking this critical part of your brain and you're sitting down and you're like this doesn't make sense why doesn't it make sense for whatever it is why doesn't this make sense or should i believe in this or should i not believe in this that that is how folks like i feel like god created humans to be God doesn't want us to just open up our brains and be like, pour anything in here. It's great. It's good. Blah, blah, blah. But doubt, and why I labeled labeled this talk the doubters, is because if we're truthful with ourselves, all of us as humans, doubt. Doubt is built in. And I've long time ago, back in January, I preached a sermon on um, on like anger and like how that's an emotion that we're, we're created with, but we need to be careful at how we view it and use it. Doubt is an emotion. It's a it's a feeling that we have that so many in Christianity have been clobbered over that it's wrong, it's not healthy. But all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you see people who doubt. And some people look at it as a negative. Some of the writers in Scripture look at it as a negative. But I feel like a lot of the writers, especially in the New Testament, when you look at doubt, it's looked upon as part of everyday life part of part of being a faithful person is to have doubt i tell people all the time do i believe jesus resurrected yes do do i hope that there's a heaven where we're all there with god and our loved ones yes i can't prove it there's hope that i have that there is there and i and i said and as a christian though there's this this healthy doubt that I have that I'm like, what if, what if when we die, that we are just dead and we're buried in the ground, and our like it says in the scripture, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust, as you were formed, so you will go. I mean, it's literally saying we're created out of dust and ash, and this is where your body's going to go. And you might be saying, well, what about our soul? My whole point is saying, I have my faith, and I hold it dear to me. And I hold it dear to to what I have, but I also have a healthy dose of doubt because I feel like you have to have that doubt or else I would go literally insane saying like, 
because let's be honest and pete has talked about this jay has talked about this tons of people not just them throughout the history of christianity have talked about the absurdity of the resurrection the absurdity of this whole eastern narrative and i'm not saying it's absurd to believe in it but the absurdity of how it happened the absurdity of why it had to happen, the absurdity of how for 2,000 years this question, this story is still relevant. And yes, I think we're all like Thomas. We're all like the disciples. We're asking questions. We're like, Lord, are you really who you are? And I think this portion of Scripture, yes, it does say, blessed are those who believe who don't see me. So for any of us who call ourselves Christians— Yes, put a give, give yourself a you know pat on your back because Jesus are saying you're blessed. But I feel like if at the core of who we are as human beings, and especially I'm talking to those who label themselves Christians, be okay with having doubt, living in that ambiguity, living in the the idea of you know I I believe in God. I believe in the story of Jesus and the message and the teachings of Jesus, but there's certain things in my head that cause me to doubt this or that or this or that. And so many people are like, oh, that I can't do that because I feel that my faith is going to fall apart. No, I'm telling you, it's just going to be the opposite. It's going to be stronger. It's going to be more robust. It's going to be stronger because the teachings of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the, the whole life of Jesus is so absurd in, in certain aspects that it causes one to doubt. And I'm not, so there's this fine line I'm saying uh, in your faith about doubt. Because if you doubt to the point, and I, I wish my grandma was still alive, she was like, I can never doubt, Brian, because if I doubt too much, then I'm never going to believe in Jesus or Jesus will be out of the picture. And I, and I would push back as a young college student. I would say, no, mom, it's, it's, it's not, you're not doubting because you don't want to believe in Jesus. You're doubting because you want the stories and these teachings of Jesus to be more, that more meaningful and to mean that much more to your faith. I don't know. Hopefully I'm making sense. Everyone, it makes sense in my head. So hopefully it's coming out uh, that way to you all. I think I'm going to stop there. I'm in around 45 minutes. I'm going to see if anybody has questions, comments, pushback, seeing if I'm a heretic, whatever. Um, Ray had said, exactly, Jesusism, Jesianism, call it what you will, but that's the crux of what I carry with me subsequent to me leaving the Christian institution the teachings of Yeshua, the philosophy of the Christ man. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you, Ray, for saying those words. Um, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you can leave, and I've said this before, you can leave the institutional quote-unquote church um, and still follow Jesus. It's just that the teaching, the church is not the building. The church is the people and the teachings of that. And you look within a hundred to two years, 100 to 200 years after Jesus ascended or was out of the quote-unquote physical human picture here on earth, we hijacked what we thought Christianity to be. We hijacked these teachings of Jesus and perverted them into what we want to have them be as humans. So, uh, yeah, so 
the teachings of, I like it the teachings of Yeshua the philosophy of the Christ man I really I really like that I'm gonna probably start using the, some of that as language Amanda wrote doubt isn't necessarily bad a little doubt leaves room for growth that's fantastic Amanda it's true um, doubt does leave room for growth doubt makes all of us uh, not just in the in a faith way but in 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 anything and I, I've used this in for the talking even about marriage i was like do i have doubt that amanda loves me sometimes do i do i know she loves me yep i can't prove that she loves me i can tell her i can say amanda does this 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 and this so i know that she loves me and probably this vice versa but there's that doubt because we're human beings there's that doubt of like what if i accidentally did this what if I came home drunk? What if I got a DUI? I'm not going to do that. I'm just using it as an example. Am I? Is she going to love me any less? Is she going to be here? If I say, you know, uh, you know, I started dabbling in cocaine and now I'm addicted to it, do I doubt? Do I have a little bit of doubt that she's going to love me and still be there for me? Yeah. But having that doubt causes us to grow where that doubt is maybe like, oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. Because I don't want that to get in the way of my relationship. Uh, you also wrote, hopefully that made sense. I was just kind of popped into my head. But for the sake of that, I thought it made sense. The doubt on whether or not there is an afterlife should be all the more reason for us to live kindly and generously. If the afterlife does exist or doesn't exist, we know that this life is real. It's happening now. And we and we were placed on this earth with one another for a reason, all the more reason to love and care for one another. Uh, that's that's a drop a mic moment right there. Man, I'm just going to drop the mic. And that's so true. And drink this cup of coffee, and then I'm going to give my little... Yeah, the coffee's disgusting when it's cold. <laughs> um, it's true. And I, I've, I've preached this before. I think the first sermon I did for Revolution... I, I talked about this, is I think there's, and and Pete had talked about this, what I read out of his book, The Idolatry of God, or no, The Orthodox Heretic last week, is so Christianity, the last at least 200, 250 plus years, has become, a, a, has become obsessed with the afterlife, has become obsessed with heaven, hell, this is where you go when you you die or whatever. And even in the early Judaism, even in early Jewish teachings, they very rarely talk about hell, the afterlife. They don't. A lot of religions don't talk about what happens here after you die because the point is if you're so focused on what's going to happen here at the end and you're not focusing at living in the present, then you missed everything. And even Jesus... My, my daughter's making fart noises. Such my kid. I got to, it's hilarious. But uh, to chip off the old block, Ava. Uh, but if you're, if you're choosing not to live here in the present and you're wanting to just hijack your theology, because I can't tell you how many conversations I had in church growing up, in college, and even in seminary where I was like, guys, it's not about the end of all things. It's not about do I have this right relationship and I'm going to heaven or hell, blah, blah, blah. It's about we're all here on this planet. None of us 
None of us have chosen to be here on our own volition. We know what our parents did. We're the offspring of it. And we're trying to make our way in this world. And if you're so, if you're so, uh, what's the word, obsessed with showing or proving that there's the afterlife, that there's a heaven or hell, you are missing the point of just being in relationship with one another. You're missing, and since I kind of punted that kind of theology and thinking away, I can, I, I kid you not, that left my whole idea and theology back in seminary. And can I tell you that every time there's a beautiful rainstorm or and I love, I love, I don't like snowstorms, but I love smelling the rain when it comes in, when it's about to rain. I love seeing the lightning and thunder and just being present there, knowing that this is a very natural nature thing, but just being present in there. Or when I'm with friends and, you know, we're sitting down having some cocktails or some beer or smoking a pipe, just being present in that moment, in that conversation, not thinking, what's going to happen when I die? You know, because then you get scared. Then you're like, oh, what can I, I, I shouldn't drink this beer or I shouldn't smoke this cigarette or I shouldn't, you know, go to this nice restaurant with my friend or da-da-da-da-da. And when you forget or when you forget um, to live in the present and live in the moment, you you realize that this is, God gave, you know, and Jesus all, all, all throughout the New Testament talks about, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. That's exactly what Jesus is, is and what Amanda was alluding to when it says, Jesus even says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the things in the future that you cannot control. Worry about this right now, right here. Worry about life together. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as part of his whole theology, life together. Life together. Worry. We don't know about all the stuff at the end. We can, we can theologize. We can philosophize. We can whatever eyes with it. But worry about living in the here and now. Jesus, Jesus even taught that. So why in the last 200 to 300 years has Christianity somehow went to there is hell? This, this, this is all that life's about is to this escapism. That is not the teachings and message of Jesus, folks. That is a perversion and a hijacking of the gospel to interpret it to the way we want it to sound, not to the way Jesus wanted it to sound. And Amanda wrote, uh, the musical Les Miserables, I'm just going to say Les Mis, said, said it best, to love one another, per- to love one another, oh, excuse me, I can't talk, to love another person is to see the face of God. And that is another drop the mic moment. It's so true. When you love another person, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a kid, whether it's your best friend, that is seeing the face of God. And there's a lot of people that I love in my life, like a legit, a love, not all the same kind of love, but a love. And if you take that quote to heart, that is seeing the face of God. Isn't that what, isn't that the greatest commandment God said that he left with us? Is to love one another as you love yourself. So this is that ethic coming through. Love, 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 love. And I have, I love how this kind of whole thing went of talking about the afterlife and death and whatever. But 
folks, I'm just going to end it with this, unless, Curtis, you have something to say. Okay, come on up here, and then I'll say what I'll end after that. So I guess uh, I, I learned in uh, college when I was studying this particular passage that there was a gospel of Thomas that was circulating around the same time. Yeah, um, you know, deemed by the many in the church to not be a legitimate gospel. But it, it's my understanding that that gospel did not include any, uh, it didn't include really any uh, narratives about the life of Jesus. It was more like a book of sayings. And it definitely did not seem to have an emphasis, or I don't think even include at all, uh, some sort of narrative about a bodily resurrection of Jesus. And there's been uh, theories that have been put forward to say that the writing of the Gospel of John and this story about Thomas uh, that you quoted from was a method by which uh, the followers of uh, John-based Christianity could kind of... uh, put in a dig at the followers of the Thomas-based Christians and to say those Thomas people don't see the validity of the bodily resurrection. But So we're going to write a story about how John the disciple, the person that they claim to follow, is actually somebody that, you know, ended up believing in Jesus' bodily resurrection because he uh, saw this. Um, and, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe this isn't like fan fiction that people wrote afterwards to 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 talk crap about a different sect of Christianity in the early church. But it is, I think, well known that John's gospel was the last one written out of all the, of the other gospels. And this uh, gospel is the only one that mentions Thomas in, in this situation. Um, but I guess... Uh, to the point that there may have been other Christ- there may have been early church Christians that didn't see a need for this resurrection bodily resurrection of Jesus. Um, it makes me wonder uh, whether or not it's beneficial. Well, going back real quickly, I I think that suspending critical thinking skills and not utilizing creative uh, thinking based on facts on the ground um, can be a negative thing for society. And a couple examples would be like George Bush going to war in Iraq with faulty intel, with Colin Powell claiming that there was uh, reasons to do so, or um, our current uh, prohibition laws as being a good way to have drug policy, or the idea that we need to surveil everybody in society in order to be more safe, when really that's like a not really safe thing for the government to know everything about people. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering if like working backwards, if the church would be a better force for good in the world, if the church were to try to say like, suspending belief is okay in this situation and believing in the bodily resurrection is good, even if you're not like Thomas and you can put your fingers in the holes. That's a good thing. But when it comes to like real world problems where we need to live together, like Bonhoeffer says, uh, we really need to put our minds to work and try to figure out what is the best 
way to think about these things and use evidence-based, you know, critical thinking skills and creative ideas to try to, to fix problems in society, or if it would be better if the church were to work backwards and say, maybe this isn't a good way to think about the world and just suspend belief, um, and maybe the church needs to move beyond this sort of bodily resurrection idea and have some faith that early Christians had that same thought process. So, sorry if that's too complex, but... I, I don't think I can talk about all of that with the time we have. Does Ava want to say something? Okay. I thought my three-and-a-half-year-old child wanted to drop some knowledge on me. I guess not. Um, yeah, I, I, the only thing I can say a couple of things, there was the, there was the Gospel of Thomas. There was uh, that book written. Um, and I could get into a whole sermon about the canonization of, of Scripture, of how a lot of books aren't in the Bible, because it could be a whole hell of a lot longer than it is. Um, and yeah, there are, and people, Christians throughout, you know, people, for instance, like Constantine, people are like, oh, he, he Christianized all the stuff, but he, he was an Arian Christian, which was an Arian controversy, which I think, if I'm not, I think with Arius, who was an early church leader, wanted, I think, I want to say he just thought that Jesus was only divine and not human or the other way around. And so, in the normal Christian doctrine, even he was a little off in the quote-unquote whatever thought. So, Thomas, yes, there was a sect of Christians who were more like Thomas who kind of didn't raise Thomas to like a messiahship or whatever, but kind of used Thomas as like this doubting person to have this whole sect of Christianity. And that's been true throughout, uh, throughout history of, of Christianity. But kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, Curtis, is I, I do think like there is that, there is a time and a place for doubt. I will say that. And a lot of things within the resurrection, a lot of things within, uh, faith, we, should have doubt in, doubt in a lot of things in theology. But what you said, when it comes to the day-to-day life of human beings, because we're in this together, maybe it is healthy to suspend some of that doubt. Maybe it is helpful to sit back and say, hey, uh, we all are coming from things in a different way, different perspective, maybe different creeds and religions, but let's just put that to the side in order for us just to be better people to function better in society. Cause yeah, I agree with the examples you have given where people haven't used good reason, good science, just good knowledge and technology that we have to be better people. Um, so yeah, so that's a good point too, of, of there's this fine line of, of doubt and faith, which I did put up in there or reason that we should have but strictly speaking at least kind of for this this narrative and what i was talking about is i do think that uh doubt when it comes to faith and all things like that we should have um a healthy dose of it because if we don't then we're gullible to believe just about anything anybody have anything else before i say good boy um, thanks for everyone. Let us know in the comments if you like this new ring light. How, well, it's not new. We just, I've had it for a number of months, but I haven't used it, um, as much. See if it's brighter. Um, you can see me clearer. You like this whole body look instead of just from like 
my chest up. So, uh, yeah, um, we'll be back next week. I'll be here next week um, preaching. The week after that, Amanda and I and Ava are out of town. But Curtis is talking. I don't know what he's talking about yet, but he'll bring some knowledge to you. So, till next time, have a good week. Stay safe, everyone. We love you. And if you like what we're doing, just spread the word. Tell us, tell people where to find us on Facebook and Sacred MN at Revolution Church Minneapolis, all on Instagram. And we'll see you next time. Bye.